comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. My name is Oliver Queen. After five years in the house, I returned home with only one goal, to save my city. But my old approach wasn't enough. I had to become someone else. I had to become something else. I had to become the Green Arrow. When I was a child, my planet Krypton was dying. I was sent to Earth. I work with my adoptive sister for the DEO to protect my city from alien life and anyone else that means to cause it harm. I am Supergirl. My name is Barry Allen, and I am the fastest man alive. To the outside world, I'm an ordinary forensic scientist. But secretly, with the help of my friends at Star Labs, I fight crime. I am the Flash. I'm here because the future of the world is in peril. Because of a man named Vandal Savage. I chose you eight to travel throughout time to stop them. You got the wrong guy. Hero ain't on my resume. Where I'm from, you aren't just considered heroes. You're legend. Hey everybody, welcome to the DC TV Podcast, episode number 73. Where were you in 73? I imagine everyone on this podcast except me was not alive yet, but hey. I was um, hi, one. I was two. I was one. <laughs> okay. Now, what? <laughs> I was yet to be conceived. You were still, you were still just a thought in someone's head. Yeah. I, I missed the question. I wasn't even. <laughs> I don't even think Aaron's parents were alive because you're what, like, fifteen? <laughs> wow! Ow, wow! Wow! Oh man! There we go. Shots fired already. We didn't even get to the intros. <laughs> we we just got to the thing we disagree on yet. No, we uh, well, we have a lot to talk about this week. First of all, the the preacher uh, season finale. Uh, wow, what a finale it was. <laughs> Audience with God, everybody. We also have the, we're going to be talking about the Batman the Killing Joke. I know a lot of people wanted us to talk about it last week, but I wanted everyone to have a chance to watch it so we could talk spoilery, uh, spoilers on it. So that will be a spoiler filled uh, discussion. And I will uh, mark the timestamp accordingly in the notes for the show. And then finally, just a quick, uh, we're just going to maybe some quick impressions with uh, our special guest tonight, who I'm getting to the introduction of soon, on the uh, the new Suicide Squad movie, because we were both able to see it. Um, from the Out Now with Aaron and Abe podcast, from the CodeIsZeke.com, uh, from the YoungFolks.com, where he's been writing uh, reviews of Preacher and The Americans and uh, The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead, and uh, Why So Blue, where he where he regularly does Blu-ray reviews and movie reviews. Our special guest tonight is Mr. Aaron North. My listening is just awesome when I hear it out loud. I know, dude. I, I, I should just do an audio resume <laughs> to, for you. To, to be fair, I don't write about Fear the Walking Dead because who needs that, honestly? Like, that's, <laughs> that's too much. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but, glad to be here. Thank you, Jim, for having me. I'm happy to... I, you know, I've been writing a preacher, obviously, and I, I, I've seen these things. and like, yeah, I want to be on the... I don't watch... I don't watch all of the Arrowverse TV shows, so I'm not generally on. But you know, there's a slew of things this week that I have seen, so I'm in, I'm happy to to be to be a part of this. Sweet, and we're happy to have you on. We are. To introduce the rest of my cohorts this evening. First of all, he made me promise we'd go get French fries after this. It's uh, Chubtoe Sheldon. Mm, French fries. 
Um, she often picks her nose when she's posing as a goddess, Miss <laughs> Cherry Atkinson. The universe craves balance, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and the man in the cell next to Cassidy, who had to clean up all those little paper cups full of blood, it's the man they, they know as Q from the Comic Nerdgasm fa- uh, Facebook group. How are you doing, Q? Always good. And uh, I'm glad to have you on because I, I, I read your review as well as Aaron's reviews of uh, Killing Joke, and you guys brought up some similar points. And we'll get to that uh, in a moment. But first, let's talk Preacher season finale. Wow. Awesome. Um, this is the preacheriest preacher yet. <laughs> yes, I kind of had an inkling of what was coming based on how the yeah. graphic novel started, but they upped the ante so big. In, in how that happened, which I won't ruin until we get to talk about it. But, man, so amazing. It was good. And you're right. It's the preacherest preacher episode of all ten. I love the uh, the opening part of this where you hear the radio host. Yeah. yeah. Talking about Jesse, yeah. you know, calling down God. And he's on the run from the law. And immediately, as soon as he says that... From the right of the screen, runs Jesse into the woman and the cops running after him. Yeah, and there was a McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's or something, and on their sign they had Run Preacher Run. Yeah. <laughs> and they uh, mentioned uh, local freak, G- Eugene yeah. Root. <laughs> yeah, I, that, I wrote that down on my notes. It's like, that's, that's, <laughs> that's such a weird thing for a radio host to announce. <laughs> I just have one thing to say, and this is all I have to say, and there is only but one God, and that is the God of Meat. Yeah, that, that went over like a lead balloon when Quinn Cannon tried that. <laughs> what a what a send off for Odin Quinn Cannon, by the way, where the last oh, thing yeah. we see is him cradling his meat created daughter like in his yeah. hands. It's all just meat, Aaron. It's all the same. Before getting just destroyed by a radioactive fart explosion, like that's you know. <laughs> that, that scene with with the guy and um oh man. I, I would, the girl I would with the say, ball uh, gag trying to press random buttons to stop the reactor. I, I, I would say Odin can get, he's not my favorite thing from the comics, but like I really liked what Je- Jackie Earl Haley was doing with that character. Oh, yeah. I, I really think he did a, 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 a solid job each week out. Uh, totally, totally agree. Probably, probably as far as things compared to the comic goes, that's probably the one thing that does itself better than the comic, I would say. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. Uh, then we cut to Donnie's house, where Tulip breaks through the glass in the front door. And Donnie's wife She is really like, needs some anger management classes, I'm just saying. I think she's killing it, so you shut up. Well, that's because she's the on-screen <laughs> version of you. That makes no sense to me. What did she use, by the way? She used, like, a random trinket again, just like when she used, like, uh, Emily's yeah, daughter's, she... like, toy to, like, or to, like, her clay thing to, like, threaten, threaten right, Emily. It's like mom rules. Garden gnome or something. She's yeah, yeah. Like mom rules. It's like whatever's closest to me. That's what you get your ass beat with. Exactly. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Everything, everything's fine. Donnie has been saved, and Jesse is there, and uh, we get a scene of Donnie spanking his wife. I think she's dressed up as Snow White or something, or that might be later. Snow White's uh, later. This, this, she's just taking it for whatever dress, right. whatever. And then Donnie's talking about how the preacher saved him with his mercy, and uh, he stopped him from killing Jesse in the church. Just like Jesse had shown him mercy in that men's bathroom back in episode three. Tulip doesn't care, though. She drags Jesse outside. Jesse apologizes, and she says it's about damn time. And it was. And uh, she grabs him by the belt buckle, and uh, 
He's like, we do, uh, you know, something, anything for me. He's like, whatever you want. She pops up in the trunk, and inside is Carlos. And now we get the uh, the flashback to the Dallas job that has been referred to several times. Does um, anyone watch um, You're the Worst on FX? No. No. Or is Alan Big No? Okay. Well, the the uh, the character Carlos is played by one of the one of the four leads on that show, and, and he plays a decidedly different person because on that show he's a a sympathetic um, a veteran from from that who's like come back from from a Middle East and like has PTSD problems or whatnot, and he's like and he's very likable. Here he's just like the worst guy. <laughs> it's like this yeah. is such a different way to take this this actor that I know from one thing. We um we see what happened at the Dallas job that basically Carlos set them up and left them to die just out of spite, just because he was jealous of the happiness that they had. Because they're having fun. They're Bonnie and Clyden it up, you know, uh, in the uh, safety deposit room while they're, they're waiting for the vault to open. being the third wheel, but, you know, he was getting money out of it. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, they're they're joking around and stuff, and then Carlos, you know, the, he hears them laughing, and it just has that one moment where the actor's face just kind of changes. And he looks down, and you're not sure what he's doing, and what he's doing is cutting the bonds on the security guard. Um, and the next uh, shot we see is uh, Jesse and Tulip out in the alley, and Carlos driving away in the getaway car, and Tulip, you know, bending at the waist and saying, you know, my baby, as the uh, police sirens go off. So we see now everything that they lost because of Carlos. Not only did they get screwed over on the bank job, but also Tulip, you know, miscarried. Uh, her unborn child, all because of Carlos. Totally How did that happen him. exactly? Like just the stress of the situation. Is I, like why I guess. All right, that's what I took I, it as. Yeah, I, yeah, extreme. Yeah. Um. Yeah, extreme stress. I. I, I yeah, I extreme know. duress. You could. It's, you could totally miscarriage. Padme Amidala disease. <laughs> Which is, I, yeah, she, has, she had a broken heart. That was the problem. <laughs> but, uh, she died, she, the baby died of a broken heart. I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's I, not I, something I, significant enough for me. I mean, besides, yes, it's obviously a horrible tragedy. But, like, it's not, it, in the realm of this show, it's not something significant enough for me to, like, really have to question the comic book logic of something like that happening. It's like, all right, that's that's sad, but that seems a little extreme for, you know. But you, you did just question it. Yep, we heard you. <laughs> We're going to loop this. <laughs> oh, they've caught me. Uh, <laughs> Jesse, Jesse just you know punches Carlos in the face a few times and asks him why, and Carlos just says you were happy, and Jesse's not happy with that answer, so he shuts him back in the trunk. We then cut to the methane plant and the pressure gauge guys on the phone trying to get a little something something with his wife, uh, getting frisky. No, not getting dirty, just getting frisky. He, he gets rejected by her, and this pays off later uh, during the montage. Uh, Cassidy is locked up in uh, the, the Anvil Jail with Sheriff Root, and Sheriff Root has figured out his little secret by by looking at the records and seeing the dates that, you know go back to 1922. Cassidy hasn't covered his trail very well uh, over the years, and uh, to prove his point, Root shoots him and then pours him a little paper cup full of blood and gives it to him uh, to prove his point, pretty much. Which Now, the, the idea for this scene, I, I like it, but I just... Roots never like they they've had ten episodes which don't matter given the end of this episode now but like they've had ten episodes to do enough with these characters and Roots never like he's never done anything to stand out he just kind of like wavers depending on what the story requires of him in a given scene which has been irritating despite how good uh, W Earl Brown has you know been in trying to bring something to it 
I, I thought this was a good scene with him, though. I well, mean, that's, what, that's what I'm saying, though. I think it's a yeah. good idea for a scene. Like, it's well done. It's just there's no there's less impact because I don't care about this person. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like Cassidy, obviously, you can make. I mean, I've spent plenty of time with Cassidy. I know what he's up to and everything. But like the, the interplay between Cassidy and Root in the final episode of the season is like, well, where's where's this? What's this supposed to mean to me? <laughs> well, I kind of took it. You know, the last couple of episodes is you know, where's Eugene? He's a stressed out father. He he hasn't exactly been nice to Eugene, and now he's worried something terrible has happened to Eugene. It's built up to that, and now he knows this guy who's a vampire is the one that could answer his, maybe get answers to where Preacher's at and maybe answers to where Eugene's at. That's and how I, I kind of took it. No, I so, hear you. I, I, I agree. I, I felt I, I had an empathy for him, you know, because of, of him and Eugene, and I get where he got to this point because of it. I, I hear you, and I completely agree. It's just a matter of how much empathy am I supposed to have for this person? No, besides, no. I, besides it, what it's, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm right with you. I'm just saying that's, I think, what they were trying to accomplish there. For sure. Like, I'm not violently against what Root's been up to. It's just more of, like, last week he strangled that Seraphim, who obviously came back, so it didn't really matter as far as the Seraphim character. But, like, in Root, like, that's that seems like that should mean something to me, and yet it kind of doesn't because I just haven't spent too much time with this character beyond basic ideas of what he's supposed I, to be. I see right. what you're saying there. Yep. Okay. Yeah, the um, you know, Cass even call, calls him on. He's like, "Isn't there a part of you that think it would be relieved if you, you know Eugene never came back?" And that sets Root off big time, and like he unloads this whole gun into Cass. And I but, think that's because he does have those thoughts at times. Totally. I mean, he he was he was kind of you know on on board with that idea before Eugene even disappeared. You know, it just you know he just seemed to have real like. Beyond, like, not understanding, like, kind of real contempt for his son, you know? So. I think I didn't think take it as necessarily contempt for Eugene, but it, it's almost like he was pissed off that he was the one that had to deal with Eugene. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like he was pissed off at the universe for sticking him with Eugene. Yeah. And I, I think if the show better handled that, that would have resonated more and I would have appreciated it more. Because sure. I think that's an, that's an interesting way to take that, especially given the comic, there's not much to really go with there. So it seems like they had an opportunity. It's just, you know, we have 10 episodes dealing with this town as opposed to what could have been just, you know, one or two. And the show, you know, wants to lean onto these people that we don't have too much to go with. But here we are doing that, and it doesn't really do much with them. So. Uh, back at Donnie's house, um, Tulip thinks Jesse's plan to bring some beardy white guy to Texas is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jesse's like, they don't know God is white, and he's like, well, just. And then Tulip says something like, well, that's a whole bunch more questions that's gonna, they're going to bring up. <laughs> um, so they go back to uh, what they're going to do with Carlos. Um, Jesse's like, you know, nothing's going to bring our baby back. Tulip wants revenge. Finally, Jesse walks into the kitchen, grabs a garbage bag and oven mitt, and says, "I'm going to hell anyway." And they open up the trunk where Carlos is cowering. He puts the bag under Carlos's head. You know, and he's ready to pull the trigger, but Tulip stops him because she's totally touched by his willingness to kill for her. I, I like <laughs> his whole thing when she's arguing to, with him about it, and he's just like, but the bag, yeah, yeah, that'll keep his brains in, or whatever he says. I thought that was funny. <laughs> but there's still going to be some crack my axle. <laughs> right, there'll be some, still be some splatter. 
Um, See, this stuff I get. Like, as much as I know, so, I know Jim and you and uh, Chubbs are not as, as far as previous episodes of the Preacher go, I know you're not as, as fond of the series as I may be, but like, I feel like I've, I've gotten to know Tulip and Jesse well enough where this stuff works for me. Like that the way they banter, the way it is resolved, like that's like, that's, these are characters, obviously the lead, so it makes more sense, but these are the characters, these are characters that they really, they like really come to this conclusion that that works, that works in my eyes as far as how they handle a situation and why they make certain things. You know, I get it. I'm with you. And, and no, I've enjoyed the, the show for the most part. I mean, it, I, I, I feel that it had a bit, of a pacing issue and just a few storytelling issues through the first four or five episodes. But fair, yeah. I mean, I mean, once a, I'd say about episode five or six, I'm not sure is where I just finally started feeling like it was pulling me in, you know, and I was enjoying it. Like I enjoyed the comic and, and, and the differences and everything else. And, you know, once I finally knew where they were kind of going with it, you know, what the, the writing on the wall, you know, I was like, okay, we'll see where they go. And these last three episodes for sure have been phenomenal. Um, and that this finale was just great. Yeah, I agree that I think the last three or four episodes have really like, uh, picked up the pace of the show. I'm enjoying them more for sure. Um, I did the first half of the season question for you, Jim, cause all along you've been saying that, you know, the one character that you haven't been able to fully buy into was preacher because you're not you're not fully with dominic are you still there or did this finally bring you around to him his his accent is kind of uh it kind of reminds me of rick's accent in walking dead yeah sometimes mm-hmm. you know the the british guy approximating the american south so that kind of t- still takes me out of it a little bit but i'm i'm fine i'm fine with it i'm I'm getting I'm getting to the point where I got to with The Walking Dead actually, where the show and the comic are starting to have their own lives separate from one another. Right. And they they both kind of make sense, and I kind of you know like what they're doing with it. So, again, like I said, I went back and watched like the past few episodes uh, to get ready for the finale, and and I you know I I really do uh, you know re, I I do really think that the season has improved as it's gone along. The second half has been far better than the first half. I um I can't argue against accent issues because I just I can't um I it's it's hard not to say like well there's like there's you know there's a it's a comic book series and so there's some the exaggerated nature of it I guess is a way to make yeah, up for that like, but, I totally get it it's just it's just something that you know I, I Russ it. brought it up too yeah. um, when we were talking about the, I can't remember I think we were talking about it somewhere on another podcast on WDTV yeah yeah because I mean I lived in Texas when I was a kid and I you know that's yeah. And I mean, it's fine. I mean, it's not like you know, oh, I'm never gonna watch this show, and it's terrible because his accent slips or whatever. It's like, it's just something that that you know sometimes takes me out of the story a little bit. For but, sure. But you I'm know, getting I'm getting a lot more of the connection between right. Tulip and Jesse than I was, um, especially this episode. I'm, I'm really feeling it. So. Cool. What, Jerry? I feel like the southern accent must be hard to do for some people, which is lost on me because I grew up in Texas, but. I, I noticed uh, like here. some some really primo actors can't do a southern accent. Like oh, I spent the spent a lot of the time in Prometheus cringing because Idris Elba did the shittiest freaking southern accent I've ever heard. And I love I, Idris Elba. He yeah, could probably do a lot of bad stuff. 
That's, that's the future. future. <laughs> that, that, that there's no self anymore. No, it's an it. accent of the future. Not to mention, I was, <laughs> I was also, I also was cringing all through Prometheus, but it was because the movie just sucked. The um, the the, the standard. For, whoa, whoa, whoa! The standard for bad accents in movies is still Heather Graham in From Hell. Oh There's boy! Oh, worst wow. British accent ever. It made Johnny Depp's British accent look good by comparison. (laughs) No, no, this is Christopher Lambert. At least was no, no, no. Hey, at least Christopher Lambert's accent was you know vaguely European. That's the curtain. (laughs) (laughs) Vaguely, Heather Heather Graham's is like I don't know if she's going for Mary Poppins or what, but it's just not. It's like hello, hello, governor, you know that kind of. Do we just not count Sean Connery because he just gets a pass for not trying at all? He's Sean Connery. He's Sean Connery. I'm a, sp- I'm a Spaniard, damn it. Like he, he, win- he wins an Oscar for playing Irish. I'm an immortal Spaniard in Highlander. <laughs> I'm an immortal Spaniard. Okay. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, Jesse. Uh, oh, yeah, right. That's Jesse. <laughs> what I was going to say with Jesse... Uh, regardless of accents, I, I do think Cooper has grown into the role as the series has gone on, which is not irregular for any kind of actor that's jumping into a show and you know slowly getting more into their shoes. And I, I, I do think, regardless of you know his vocal range, I think as far as accepting what the character has to offer and how he can play him, I think that's evolved well with you know how the show's story has set him up too, where he's unsure of how to use this power and he slowly grows into what he believes is the right way to go. I think it's been a kind of a give and take with both the actor and the progression of the character throughout season one. Uh, after their little tender moment of not killing Carlos, they, uh, they untie him and he's standing there in the driveway. He's like, okay, see you later. And then Tulip walks up and hands him a tire iron. And then uh, she says, still not fair. <laughs> and Jesse says, you know that's not fair. <laughs> and then he gives Carlos a gun as well. <laughs> and then Jesse and Tulip have this so totally uh, cool, should be on a poster pose. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Uh, you know, that they're going to mess up his world. And the next scene we see is the Indian mascot walking down the street, and behind him is a thoroughly badly beaten Carlos uh, the, ma- the mascots throughout this episode, they weren't necessarily my favorite thing, but it's one of the things I'm going to most remember about this episode. I agree. Yeah. Symbolism. You see, you see sights of certain people hanging, and it's like, yeah, that's not an image I'll forget. Uh, Sunday morning comes, and uh, Betsy approaches the deputies, and we think for a second she might have betrayed Jesse, but no, she's sending him on a wild goose chase because Jesse's in the trunk. I like that scene. Tulip, that was cool. Um, oh, I forgot to mention the timer from this episode. I thought that was pretty awesome. Like, how okay. long till God? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I was like, timer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, every once in a while it would yeah. pop up. It was like one of those old, like, uh, 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 rotary timers. You know, it was like 13 hours, 12 minutes to God, you know. Yeah. Um, I like the to God aspect of it. That was a, that was a fun touch. I like that Carlos is set free to Johnny Cash, personal Jesus. Oh, yeah. That was amazing. There's some, there's some <laughs> inspired soundtrack choices in this episode. Yeah, the music is really yes, good. Yes, yeah, yes, totally. I was like, I love this. Uh, f- at five minutes till God, the whole town has shown up at the church. There's Glenn Cannon and uh, Tracy and uh, Clive, who keeps mentioning that his dick is gone <laughs> in several, <laughs> several, you know, several things. And um, Jesse has no idea what's going to happen. But he's backstage, and Tulip says, "You know, as long as they have French fries afterwards, she's good." And then she uh, joins Cassidy in the crowd, 
who seems fully recovered from all his gunshot wounds. Um, and before the service can get out of the way, Quint Cannon pops up and gives a little speech. And, you know, you're right to uh, single out Jackie Earl Haley in this series, because he is incredible. Amazing. Um, he's just telling, you know, uh, you know, God, you know, God is about to appear, right? And he's like, uh, he tries to make a pitch. He's like, the only real God is the God of meat. And everybody just stops. Best. But I digress. <laughs> anyway. Okay, well, I guess I have to work on my branding. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> I guess it's God, like with a WD, like a God. <laughs> He's so awesome. So uh, everyone's watching Jesse. He pulls out the heaven phone and the angel hand. Um, it's like a whirring and buzzing. It doesn't seem like it's going to work. <laughs> like, and, hold on. Let's talk, let's talk about the idea that a preacher brings out a like a a severed hand in front of a live right. audience, and no one's like, and puts huh, it on a, a world. That of, seems interesting. I guess well, we'll just it looks watch like this. <laughs> it looks like a World Aaron, War One like field radio phone. Right. You know? Aaron, you don't understand Texas, okay? In Texas. <laughs> Severed body parts is it's it's just a normal thing and it just happens and we just look past it. Um, okay. Okay, that's how that works. Sure. Anyway, so he pulls out his heaven his heaven <laughs> phone such, and his angel hand. That's a, it's such a it's such a like an awkwardly done scene or like a, you have, you have the entire town is in the audience thinking man. Preacher's about to bring out God. How is he going to do it? What's going to happen? And you just have this, like, guy standing in the front of the room bringing out the angel, like, some random device. People don't know what the hell that thing is. And they, and he brings out a, a hand out of a plastic bag, and they're like, okay, yeah, that sounds, that seems normal enough, too. And he's just sitting there, and all these, like, wacky noises are happening, and the people are just waiting there. And yeah. It's like a Monty preacher, Python skit, it really was. Like, the absurdity and Preacher's, like, was sullen just... face when nothing happens, like, oh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Then uh, Quick Cannon is just about, what I liked was that Quick Cannon was just about to jump up and say, Hey, it's Rian. There's so much for his God. And then uh, everything goes dark in the room. And then there's a blast of like orange light and wind and noise. And there's a big guy on a throne with a big uh, fluffy white beard. and uh, So ridiculous. <laughs> so awesome at the same time, but so ridiculous. Look upon me. I am the Lord your God. <laughs> As everyone talking it was, about it was, the It was the greatest screen of eyes. It was it was the man behind the curtain. It was the great and powerful Oz. <laughs> is, there, is everyone oh. talking about Preacher here? Have we all read Preacher? I have not. Okay. Well, well, my, so my question then is, did you, did you ever for a second believe that that was supposed to be God? No, oh, no, no, no. Absolutely not. No. Well, not, not you, Rich. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like... No, God's not white. Come on. <laughs> so I was just curious, like, what, like, non-comic... I mean, it seems fairly obvious to me. Obviously, I mean, obviously, I've read, I know where it's well, the going. The Santa like, beard, like the yeah. mall Santa beard that he's got on, and yeah. Right, no, it's so, yeah. Plus, we all know God's not white. No, that's that. God's not white, he's probably not a man, he, no. He doesn't wear those cheesy robes, absolutely not. It's like South Park, it's like a turtle, like. creature, pig thing, like a... Right. Like or, uh, or like Dogma, you could be Alanis Morissette. <laughs> yeah. Well, to quote the great uh, motion picture airheads, Lemmy is God. Mm. Well, mm. he's dead, so wow. <laughs> so Nietzsche was right, yeah. God is dead. Hmm. I heard uh, Joe Mantegna's ears perk up when he heard airheads get mentioned by somebody. 
<laughs> I love that movie. It's a it's, fun movie. It's, it's just, ridiculous, but no it's one talks about that movie ever. It's a fun movie. <laughs> you want, what's weird is this is the third time in like a span of a week or so that I've referenced <laughs> that movie. We own yeah. it. I have it downstairs for real. It's such a great movie. <laughs> I have movies I own that I'd never talk about. <laughs> uh, it's just my airheads. It's the movie that we just referenced. It's funny. I have tape heads too. Yeah. Yeah. The white beard god. Um, Jesse tries to be you know, respectful and tells God that you know everyone's got questions, but Tulip's just like you know, hey, no, we should be screaming at him. And then you know, Jesse calms her down. And he's like, and, Je- and Tulip's like, told you he was a white guy. And um, Jesse pushes forward and says, "We're your children. Why do you not act like a father? Why don't you act like a father?" And God laughs at Jesse and says he has balls. Yeah. Which is the first, like, marker that, hey, maybe God wouldn't say that. <laughs> and then the TED Talk Thank God continues. has a serious synthesis. Right. Have you seen platypuses? Come on. Platypi? But uh, I, I like the one guy who tries to shout out, you know, what did you do to the dinosaurs? <laughs> and then, uh, Can you and reattach then, my dick? Shouting at can the you reattach yeah. my penis? Can you reattach my dick? That was great. Um... And then Queen Cannon pipes up, and uh, God assures Queen Cannon that his uh, daughter is in heaven. And the the look on Jackie Earl's face when uh, when he says that is great, great acting. I really like that that reaction shot a lot. But like the th- things don't add up. The kind of answers are kind of off kilter, and all the stuff. You know. Well, then he did, then Jesse brings up um, Eugene, which is what tips him off for sure, because God right. like, God like. He messes up the fact that Eugene's not there by saying he's up, you know, he's safe or whatever. Well, God saves everyone. He says he saves them all, and then he says, "Yeah, but even Eugene." And then God's like, "Yes, of course, even Eugene." And then Jesse's like, "But I sent him to hell." And he's like, "Oh, oh, right." Yeah, of course. He kind of scratches his nose, and it's kind of when he, it's kind of the tell, and uh, he's like, "You're not God, are you?" And. Uh, he you know, goes back into his spiel, I'm the Alpha and Omega, and he's like, no, you're not. And then uh, Jesse uses the voice on him and says, where is God? And the uh, the angel masquerading as God admits uh, he's missing. God is missing. And, and then, then uh, their the angels in the, the camera crew, I guess, the production staff come and get the fake God off the set and turn off the camera. We, we should note that the angel phone comes with video conferencing. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I expected right at this moment is when the church was going to catch fire. I thought the church was going to burn with all the parishioners in it. If you've read the comic, you understand that. But where, where they ended up going with this, I love it even more. Yeah. As Aaron puts it, a nuclear fart or something like that. Nuclear nuclear fart explosion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. In the I mean, same that's explosion. essentially what it is. I mean, <laughs> so the townspeople are just kind of shocked after all this, and uh, Jesse what starts walking out with Tulip and Cassidy, and he's you know, Tulip wants some French fries, and Queen Cannon starts screaming at Jesse to denounce God, but he ignores him, and the deputy asks Root if he's going to arrest the preacher, and Root kind of scoffs at the idea of the law, even at that point, and. Uh, Sorry, fly, a fly just flew behind the room. Okay. Um, 
so we get to this uh, this montage sequence after everything that happened with with God. Uh, first, there's Emily with her children saying that they don't really need God. You know, nothing has changed. Um, you know, Daddy's still in heaven. And this is um, when we see uh, Larry, the Native American mascot, finishing a cigarette and hanging himself. Um, we see a pack of schoolgirls brandishing a bloody sword they use to castrate the pedophile bus driver. Uh-huh. Awesome. Uh, Tracy Loach's mom smothers her daughter with a pillow as her son takes a selfie. That the selfie <laughs> that, that killed me. Yeah, yeah that was that like the whoa. I about lost it. That was just. Uh, yeah, that was like the the one step more that that I did not expect. And what it's like they put an extra cherry on our Sunday, you know. It was awesome. It was dark and awesome. Serious. I, I was I like, this is why. Yeah, this is why I'm I'm agnostic. Because if it if this is all it takes for me to just go around the bend and kill people and take selfies, then <laughs> yeah. I also I can't rec- have we seen a coma girl without her wig on before to see the extent of the damage that's been done to her. I don't think so. Time? I don't remember I, it. Yeah, wasn't I, there like a hole in her head? Wasn't there like a like a huge dent in her head? I thought we did it, once. I, I can't recut, so I'm asking, I can't recall, but like I, you know, seeing seeing it in this, you know, final sequence, because, you know, we get the backstory fairly late as far as what happened exactly between um, our space and um, and the girl. Yeah. And it's like, oh, OK, yeah, this I mean, you hear that, you know, he blew, he shotgunned her in the head. It's like, yeah, this is what that right. looks like, because I just, you know, I can only recall seeing her with the wig on. So it's like, man, the mother's like. She's taking her down now, and you see her without, like, you just see the extent of the damage. And then, yeah, the sun pops in with the sun. It's like, oh, my God. This is... And it's all set to, like, a remix of that Blind Melon song, and it's... Yeah, oh, right. Which I want to... That reminds me. beat, too. I need to go to iTunes and see if they have that, because that... It was brilliant. It made that scene. Uh, then we get to really disturbing stuff. <laughs> Uh, Queen Ken is in his office uh, cradling a child-shaped bundle of ground beef, uh, standing for his daughter. It's meat. Um, yeah. Um, still not as gross as what he did in the book, and I'm glad. Well, what did he do uh, in the book? Never mind. Read the book. Uh, Betsy no. is... We get a scene with Betsy dressed as uh, Dorothy, or uh, is it Snow White? Or I my, no, it's the Red Shoes, Dorothy Gale. Um... But Donnie's just not interested in spanking her. Um, then we cut to the methane plant. The gauge minder from earlier who couldn't uh, get over on his uh, wife is dead on the floor. And there's a ball gag prostitute he hired trying to fig- frankly figure out which button to press on the methane electroreactor. He's dead with like a giant smile on his face. It should be dope. Yes. Like, he, he, went out, he went out happy, I guess, or whatever you oh. want to call it. And yeah, she's frantically like hearing the buzzing sounds of like you know red alert whatnot, and trying to yeah push everything possible to like stop whatever's about to happen. Um, then we see methane venting all over town, um, which is pretty clever. Then we get our, our last shot of the uh, old ratwater hanging tree, and then the prairie dog mascot has hung himself ne- right next to the Native American. <laughs> um, and then there's a spark from the c- cigarette the Native American mascot was smoking. And we watched the church just get vaporized in a blast. Um, I guess they even mentioned on the news, uh, there's like a news report as they're in a diner uh, later that you know, the blast was so strong that there were no survivors. Uh, but we see in the aftermath of the blast, the soccer mom uh, seraphim walking out of the blast, but the saint of killers right behind her, blowing a hole in her and just saying one word. 
creature. Um, then we also cut to uh, Jesse and Tulip and Cass at a diner, and they're talking about Big Lebowski. I guess uh, Cassie doesn't like it. Which Tulip, which Tulip is able to ask the entire diner, do you like the Big Lebowski? And they all cheer. Yeah, and one guy's like, I love the awesome. dude. Seriously, who doesn't like that movie? Cassie. Yeah. That is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. As a matter of fact, I am ordained in the Church of the Dude. Good for you, buddy. Do you get to live, drink white rice? Live your dreams. As a religious rite? Um, we then see a shot of uh, Fiore, one of the angels getting dropped off at the shuttle pickup site from Breaking Bad. Uh, he escaped hell, good news, and his trunk is still there. Bad news, he's alone. No to blank, no Eugene. Which I feel is a pretty, uh, that seems like a telling sign that when the saint of killer shoots you, you don't come back from that. Right. No, you get killed dead then. She, uh, Cassidy and uh, Tulip and uh, Jesse are leaving, and uh, Jesse's paying, and he promises the cashier that he'll get him out of hell. And the cashier is Eugene. Mm-hmm. Another figment. Right. Another, I was going to say, uh, nobody else sees him, so it really By the way, happen. have they even mentioned the the name Saint of Killers? Yet? No, no, they no. I, I, I just call, I call him the cowboy in my reviews. Oh, I forgot yeah. the I forgot the, uh, the the line too. Um, we're just gonna like drive around shooting people, getting wasted, looking for God. You mean like a road trip? <laughs> like supernatural. <laughs> I'm almost no. done with season seven. This has been a rough season. Yeah, some of them aren't not great, but they get better. This is when uh, behind Eugene, the TV explains about the giant black mushroom cloud, the explosion in Anvil. Outside the diner, Tulip is like, you know, this Genesis thing, what is it? And Jesse offers to show her. He tells her to kiss him. And then uh, Tulip, after kissing him, punches him in the face and says, don't ever do that again. So great. Then they get in the car and they head off into the sunset. Good that was the finale, yeah. <laughs> um, again, I, I I really liked the last second half of the season better than the first. I think yeah. once yeah. the story really started to pick up, I really enjoyed it more. And I agree with what you're saying, Aaron. The the actors are definitely like getting more comfortable in the roles, and you can tell. Um, so I give this episode an A. I really liked it. So. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's definitely an A in my book, and you know. It it we're finally gonna get what we've been wanting, but my the the only thing is is I did kind of the character of Emily kind of grew on me a little bit, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of disappointed to see her you know go up in the uh, nuclear fart the nuclear fart you know, but other than that it, it was just fantastic. I. I wonder where she could have gone at that point where she reached right. this like tipping point, no, just I like appealing there. I get it. I mean, I totally get it, and I, I just, I really liked her character. For sure, yeah, I, I can see that. I, yeah, she was hot. That's what he means. She mean he means she was hot. Oh well, never mind. Then shut up, Chubb. <laughs> she, she was cute, yes, but she was also an awesome character. Okay, all right. But I, I do agree with the the A for the episode. I think this is, you know, given the season that of television we've seen of Preacher, this is in that top tier of what what I what I'd get out of this series where you have things like episode six or even last week's episode which I think was absolutely terrific in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. this maybe even 
I might, I might I like, like, I might like that episode even more than probably the most of of this season. I think that's such a creative way of handling a lot of different things. But this episode is really solid as far as wrapping up things, getting us to where we want our characters to be, essentially, and uh, just being just very entertaining with the whole God yes. speech and all that. Absolutely, I I know I keep keep drawing comparisons to this adaptation and the adaptation of The Walking Dead, but I really think they're in a good place as far as like the elements of the story, um, you know, being the, the, the subplot overarching story that they're going to uh, have going forward in the second season. I think it's a, it's a good place for them to be. be. I'm glad they got a second season because I really think you know they're starting to get to an interesting place with the the show. So I'm I'm on board. A, I loved the soundtrack, like some of the songs they chose yes. right at the perfect moment. Yeah, I the music the was great. And, and I, like, I like the absurdity and I like the futility of it all. Like, look, we introduced you to all these cool characters and they have quirks and they have, you know, flaws and all that. And it's just up in smoke. Who cares? That never happened. Well, it did happen, but it doesn't matter now because we're on the road. <laughs> I mean, that's how life is. You, you get... You, you put down roots, you get attached to some kind of idea you have in your head to save a town or whatever you're saving. You Don Quixote the crap out of it and it just all goes up in smoke. And then you're on to the next chapter. So, A, loved it. No, no, I had you guys muted so you wouldn't hear all the commotion over here. Whoa, oh, it's a commotion. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like regular WrestleMania. You guys missed it. Oh. Were the helicopters out in South Central, Q? <laughs> oh, when are they not? <laughs> Sorry, my bad. <laughs> Ricky! <laughs> what did Ice Cube call him? The ghetto bird? There you go, that. <laughs> well, that's our preacher finale. Uh, we have uh, a while to wait, I guess, till, till season two, for sure. But um, I think, I don't know, like I said, it really really improved in the second half. I'm, I'm looking forward to season two. Um, it's an interesting reshuffling of, of elements, and uh, I really think it kind of all worked for me a lot better like in the last few episodes so so i have a question concerning the um season um i know at first you said you weren't completely in love with some of the changes and stuff so now after this you know seeing the season as a whole what would you grade it not just the episode but the whole season oh like probably a b okay you know like the things I don't have anything that I'm like, you know, that ruined the show for me or, you know, made it like that I didn't or made me not want to watch it or, you know what I mean? It wasn't, uh, there weren't any deal breakers there. It was mostly just things that I thought, you know, that I had problems with to begin with. And, and now I, I don't know, I'm sure a lot of it's just my lack of objectivity, you know, from having, you know, read the source material a few times. So. I, uh, I personally... Go ahead. I would I would personally go with a solid B plus just because I think the it's such a tricky thing to adapt for a television series and oh, yeah. I oh, I personally yeah. I like the idea of them throwing so much at the wall and somehow making so much of it stick where I feel like the the, the show is far more cinematic than I was expecting when you, you attached you know, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg to it but they see they clearly like studied up on not just the book which they're obviously huge fans of but just you know a lot of a lot of a lot of just wild films in general that seem to be inspired in this Tarantino specifically for obvious reasons and other you know martial arts movies various dark comedies things like that that just really play into what kind of tone they're trying to achieve in cinematically showing this story and that's that could that could easily crash and burn to make just a terrible show but I was so impressed by how they're able to 
guide a show that clearly takes you know drastic turns away from the source material, but still manages to make something that's very watchable, very competent, mostly well acted, and especially you know by bad midway through the season had a very solid direction of what it was trying to do. That leads to this really solid finale in terms of setting up a story for else you know for future seasons as well as wrapping up multiple storylines based on everyone's results at the end of this episode. What do you, what about what about you, Jerry? What do you give the whole season? I think B plus as well. I think there was always enough, even from the very beginning, even when I was starting to doubt like the pacing and where they were going. I think there was always enough to keep me engaged, keep me interested to where when they finally started getting everything right, these last two, three episodes, I was just overjoyed and happy to see all these things, you know, come into what I had expected them to be from the start for some reason. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm right there at a solid B. Um, I, I'm kind of wondering though, now that I've seen this journey to where the, cause it's, this has kind of been a prequel, I think in a way to where the story is going to be. Um, and I wonder if I go back and just binge and watch all 10 episodes, if I would see something that would make me appreciate those earlier episodes more. Now that I know where they got to, so there's, I'm gonna there's certainly like a level of expectation you have when you hear a preacher series is coming, right. and then you watch and you're like, this isn't exact. This is this, this is taking some turns that I did not expect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at no point was I disappointed in anything. Um, you know, there there was a few things that I really scratched my head at, but you know, was able to digest with the rest of it, and yeah. I, I'm I'm excited for next season. Well, um, let's talk about something that we might be a little less enthused about. I think <laughs> latest uh, Warner Brothers animated uh, offering, uh, the Killing Joke adaptation, of course, of the Alan Moore and Brian Boland graphic novel from the '80s. I think it was '87. I want to say '88. I'll look that up really quick. I think it's '88. But yeah, I, I know it was it wasn't too soon after. It wasn't too far after Watchmen. Um, they've been talking about adapting this forever and ever, first of all. And the book itself is pretty slim. Uh, even with Alan Moore's, uh, um, you know... Verbose nature. V- yeah, wordy prose. <laughs> or verbose nature, yes. I would have been fine <laughs> with a short film. I really would have. Um, after seeing this, I think I would have too. I really... All the Azarello stuff at the beginning, like the first half hour, first 45 minutes, really. I mean, it's even you know, more than just the first half hour. I just was not had nothing to do with the killing joke. It didn't do anything to, to, to get across the story. It didn't add anything. It was pretty much like just an, it was an extra episode of New Batman Adventures. They were trying to bookend, you know, the three acts. You know, she's, she's this vigilante and she's, uh, you know got a crush on Batman. And I thought that that was as far as it was going to go is, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I didn't have a total problem with it, but the, my thing is, is Bruce is not these, these are people he's mentoring. And I don't, I just don't think he would cross that line. But then on the other hand, I have a penis, so I kind of get it too. I just, I don't know. But I, I just, from the moment that he goes into Arkham, and sits down with what turns out to be a fake Joker. From that point on, I really enjoyed the film. Yeah, same here. 
I don't know. By that point, I was super annoyed. Yep, me too. <laughs> I was, was kind of nervous. I was just I'm like, like why am I watching this the... stupid story about this gangster's kid and this, you know, and, and his just attitude and his, you know, this whole like right. fake thing with that girl and everything. And you know, the, the the story, the killing joke, the stakes are already high enough. You know, you right. don't need to introduce me to Batgirl, have me hang out with her for forty five minutes, have her have a sexual relationship with Batman, and then you know, just kind of okay, thanks, we're done with that now. Into the killing joke yeah, and like. Was it Azarello? If it would have been a completely different story, I would have been fine with that. Well, that you might, know, but there's, I could have been like, okay, whatever. But the fact that they put it as Act One to the Killing Joke is, I don't know, I don't know what they were thinking. There's a key issue that I have that's wrong with the whole Batgirl prologue that precedes why I don't, I also don't like the rest of the story. But um, it, it's the idea that if. The, the, the clearly they wanted to give Batgirl something to do here because of how horrible things happened to her in right. you know the other part of the story you know the killing joke the part that we're that you know we're all kind of trying to focus on and while while that's a you know the the approach to that it's an, it's a good way to go as far as hey let's tell a Batgirl story so people can you know feel even I guess feel even worse about how you know things are bad but the the problem is. You'd want you you'd think you'd want to tell a Batgirl story to show how awesome she is, to show her like, how she's in her prime. I totally could have been on board with a, a, a Batgirl pro, uh, prologue, you know, yeah, where you show her she's if, competent if and she's like story. she solves a crime and she does it without the help of the other men. But that's not what this is. This is they show this 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 female superhero, which is fine. There's nothing, and they show her trying to you know have get a having it upon a crime and trying to fight that crime and do what she does, except this story has her getting hung up on both Batman, have her being emotionally manipulated by this Paris Franz character, and have her pining oh away after like, doing nothing but talking about Batman every time she's you know not around the situation. And so it, it creates this character that's kind of whiny, kind of needy, and like not effective at the at the position that the you know the professor superhero profession that she should be very well accomplished. What? Sorry. Turned her into Felicity Romero. Yes. Yeah. What was the rom com element? Why was she discussing Batman with her coworker and you know, the, oh he's a yoga teacher? What was that all about? I'm like, I don't like this conversation. I don't like this. At all. <laughs> Instead of Didn't creating a strong Batgirl that we can like really root for and then like feel you know feel the tragedy when she you know that all gets taken away from her, we get this right. woman who clearly knows how to fight crime but needs help from from Batman who she's also kind of obsessed with and then gives up the job of being a caped crusader by the end of the the end of the whole she, prologue. So it's, yeah, yeah, I was like, okay. Yeah. She's like only defined by she's only defined by the men in her life by Batman and, and her father, which is really not a good way to go with this. Not for, story. Not, not for a story that's already controversial for the way it uses a woman, right? As the kind of as as the gateway to exploring more about the men. Like, is we need to harm we need to horribly maim this woman so we can tell this story about men. So let's double down on that by telling the, by telling another story about how she's kind of useless at her job apparently, and then let's right. paralyze. It's like, was, why are what yeah. the hell? Like, why are we doing this? Was it, 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 makes it, it was worse. Adapted, it was totally it was out of character for both of them too. The was, yeah, I agree. Right. It was written by Azarello, right? And, and the whole prologue material was yes, and the I, adap- and, adaptation. And that was is him. really surprising to me because I think he is a fantastic writer. And this is the shit that we get. 
he's kind of he's kind of give it he's kind of give and take like some of this i mean 100 bullets is great but but Hundred Bullets is exactly a book known for its well-rounded female. I mean, Dizzy's, exactly. oh, Dizzy's, Dizzy's a fun but character, him. but it's not like it's you know pro. Yeah. It's not like it's not a, a male gaze type book. Right. <laughs> him, 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 and Cliff Chang's run on Wonder Woman from the New Fifty Two is one of the best Wonder Woman runs in history, I think. And, and I'll take I'll take your word on that because I haven't read it. But at the same time, I agree that Azarello, there's a lot of good things that he's done that I've yeah. read. But at this, but I. I, I, I'm not above saying he, he's not among the best for me. That's not to knock Azarella as far as like, man, I can't wait to not read his work anymore. I like, I have a, I have a, I have a clip on my wall that's done by Azarella actually of Batman. But, um, but yeah, it, this whatever was going on with this Batgirl story, it just doesn't work. And then we get to the actual killing joke part, which apparently a couple of you are more <laughs> keyed into than I think Jim and I are as far as the. Right. I, I I thought it was adapted. Not well, but okay. It was good enough to where right. I I enjoyed it. Um, but here's the other thing. Just one last comment on this whole making it more focused on Batgirl is the Killing Joke was was always a story about the Joker and Jim Gordon. That's what the story was. Him wanting to break Jim Gordon, mm-hmm. and she was just a plot device, you know. Mm-hmm. And and exactly. I at the time. At the time of the release of this, I don't think they thought it was going to be as big and seminal of a moment in comic history and in DC canon history as it ended up becoming. So now they're trying to backtrack and add more so this whole her journey from not necessarily the greatest vigilante, but damn it, now that she's handicapped, she's going to be great sitting behind a computer and being our watchtower, if you will, (laughs) Oracle. So... I get why they did this. They tried to make it more than it was because of what resulted in comic book history following the publishing of that comic. So I get exactly what they were trying to do, but they failed miserably at it. But the portion of that was the killing joke, I think that part was done pretty well. I could have desired, I do desire a little bit more there, but I thought it was good enough. Two two quick things, okay? When when Killing Joke came out, Alan Moore had already made his name, like with Watchmen, Miracle Man, Swamp Thing. People knew who Alan yep. Moore was. Exactly. So when Killing Joke came out, it was like you know Alan Moore is writing something that's going to be as groundbreaking as you know Dark Knight was for Batman. This will be for you know for Batman and the Joker. And when it came out, it was a big deal, and they wanted something edgy from Alan Moore. They did not expect what they got from Alan Moore, which was basically, unfortunately, what started the whole, you know, women in refrigerators thing. Google that, because that's a whole, like, other thing. But, um, you know, they wanted something edgy for Moore. He gave them something edgy, and they've been trying to backpedal and retcon their way out of it ever since. Um, You know, violence has consequences. I think that's basically, you know, that was the basic gist of what was going on there you know and, and he was showing you know what happens when violence has consequences in a comic which what, is something that we hardly ever see in a comic book which is um, that like that they've been trying to retcon their way out of it yet they've maintained the fact that she's paralyzed and will never be back girl again <laughs> except right, for what right. rebirth now she has like her legs again i believe right, right. I mean, even though batman was paralyzed and he came back was able to walk again but, well jim know. he's a man so you know. Oh right, right. He just man, he just mansplained to his spinal surgeon what what she had <laughs> yeah. to do, and, and and she was able to do it. I, I totally get it now, but I mean, the, I think the whole prologue of this really like cheapens 
the the actual like killing joke part of it by you know as you mentioned like almost invalidating Batgirl as an individual character. I mean the the whole thing. I mean I, Rich was saying it, the whole like relationship between Bruce and Barbara kind of bothered him. I mean they've they hinted at it before in, in Batman Beyond that yeah, Bruce yeah, and Barbara the anim- you know. They're yeah, they're together in or at some point right. they got together. And even in the animated series, Batman had she harbored a crush on Batman. Like that right. was always like Right. right. But I mean but, at this stage, the way they're telling the story at this stage, she's being mentored by him, and I think Bruce has more integrity than to cross yes. that line with somebody he's mentoring. Down the road if this happens. She happened, wouldn't cross that line with Wonder Woman in the series. Because they Can we also address the fact that Commissioner Gordon and him are, are friends? Do you f*** your friend's daughter? I mean... <laughs> oh, thanks That's for the bleep. <laughs> wow, we went like an hour and 15 without a bleep until then. Good job. You know, she was an item with Dick Grayson, and she's only three years older than Dick. And here it is. That was his adopted son, you know? And then he's I, uh, It's a very what? strange Oedipal relationship going on between the Bat family. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I, I get it from her end, the whole having the crush thing. That's, you know, that happens. People crush on their teachers or mentors. That happens. But the crossing the line, I just. Well, it, yeah. it just, it feels like Azrael is trying to kind of channel the, channel Moore's energy is like, I, I got to do something just as wild as, as happens in the actual thing that I'm adapting. So he throws that in there. But it also has a negative effect, I think, on the killing joke because it makes Batman not just like, trying to search for his friend Jim Gordon and, you know, and and deal with this whole issue involving the Joker escaping from Arkham. Now it's like there's this weird, like, romantic bond in the back of his head where he's not, he's, it's not just him fighting against his opposite, who he's been wanting to talk to about the fact that they're opposites from each other and one of them's going to kill each other. Now it's like he's doing this all for a girl, which is like, why do, I don't need this extra element on top of all of that. Like, Trump, trouble's trouble, guys. Like, I don't, Right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't need more layers of trouble on top of trouble. The, um, the, also, like, the, the dialogue in that first 40 minutes or whatever and the dialogue that's adapted from more stuff don't match at all. Oh, no. And yeah. the, the second point I was going to make was, like, it's such a jarring change. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, we're done with that story now, and now we're going to get to the real story, you know, um, that I'm just like, why, why didn't they just do two stories? Like, why didn't they get, like, you know, you could have no done, idea. you know, Ed Brubaker's The Man Who Laughs, which is another great Joker story. That would have been short and put it together with this and have like a Joker double feature. And I think I would have appreciated that more than what they ended up doing with this tacked on story that just kind of cheapens what does happen in the main story. But getting back to the point I was trying to make before really quick, just because it's really, it works really well on a comics page and it works really well as comic book dialogue or comic book uh, exposition or narration doesn't mean it's going to work in an animated form. And I think sometimes people are a little too slavish. To, especially like with a lot the Snyder Watchmen movie, and and here too, like some of the stuff like the the whole uh, soliloquy Joker gives about you know uh, when uh, uh, Gordon is on trial with all the freaks and everything and things like that they, they they work really well on the page but they don't I don't think they work as well as dialogue yeah, you know no. or, or as like as like uh, as read lines or performed lines you know and, and I'm not taking anything away from the performances I think with what they had you know Conway Strong and, and and Hamill you know did what they could and did you know probably the best they could. Um, but I, I just didn't think the script was up to up to you know the story at all, and then the, even the adapted part, it didn't seem like they they edited it at all for like flow of of dialogue or anything. They just kind of took it verbatim from the book. Yeah. So I and and that kind of took you know it, from the book. That's not always the best thing to do. 
Yeah, yeah. The, the scene where he's um inter- where he's interrogating the imposter. Yeah, I was thinking the same. I was thinking like nobody talks like that. But you know, in the in the book you're reading it, it's fine, just like you said. But when you're hearing it aloud, when you know acted out by someone, it's like eh, it, it's not natural. I um I personally think Conroy is not at his best here. Like I'm happy to hear. I agree. I'm happy to hear the voice of Batman because that's the voice I hear when I read Batman comics. It's it's Kevin Conroy, but I just it seems like he's he feels half-hearted this time around. I think Hamill's giving it his all. I I don't disagree there, and I think even Strong, as much as I don't like the Batgirl stuff, I think Strong does her best with what she's given as well. Hamill's having the time of his life. It's just this gets into my issue with the Killing Joke portion. I miss there's a there's a key aspect that's missing here, and it's Brian Ballin's artwork. Where the, the, a lot of that's st- like the killing joke, the, the Alan Moore story, I like it fine. Like, it's not my favorite Batman story. It's not one that I'm like, I need to reread this over and over again because of how great it is. Like, I, I think it's a good I think it's a good story. It, it's, it has a lot of great dialogue in it. But it's the it's the artwork that really compels me in that story. I think it's very creepy. It sets a great sense of atmosphere and tone for it. It adds an extra level of punch when you see things like Barbara Gordon get you know maimed and Gordon being put Commissioner Gordon being pushed through like you know a, a, a heinous scenario involving the, the amusement park and what he, what Joker's putting him through, and that comes through so well on the page. Here, that artwork's really missing, and that's an issue that I've sometimes have with the dc animated films sometimes i don't um the year one adaptation my my issue with that is that it's it's like jim you were saying it's it's far too sla- uh, slavish to the material like it, it feels exact it feels more like a motion comic than it does like a, a a solid adaptation of something dark knight returns on the other hand i think is is great like i think they do enough to channel the miller artwork and his tone but also do enough to differentiate it to make it work as a theatrical feature here, that element's gone completely. Like, there's no attempt to replicate that artwork, and the animation is not great. Like, it feels very stiff. It feels very rushed. It feels like they wanted to push along the killing joke story of all things, but I don't know why they wanted to rush what they consider to be a seminal story in the Batman mythology. Well, that, and I'm glad you brought that up because this whole thing felt rushed, and I'm not talking about just the movie. I, I, I got the Best Buy Blu-ray that came with the Man Who Laughs little mini hardback of it and then, you know, the Joker figure. But, you know, when when it came to, like, the special features, so you give us two special features of uh, talking about a movie that you put out three, four years ago. Um, I mean, I just didn't get – I expected this to be, like, their – you know, one of their better special features, you know, as far as what they had to work from. And the feature about the killing joke was good. And the, the, the music at, one's good. The, the look at, um, justice league dark, the next animated that I got excited watching that. Um, but there just wasn't enough. I mean, why are you wasting our time with the movie you put out three, four years ago? We we've seen it. Like think so, about the dark the Dark Knight Returns Blu-ray is fantastic. It's full of great behind yes. the scenes stuff that focuses on all elements concerning that story, the making of it, the the legacy behind the actual work, a lot of great interviews, That's a lot of what looks I at that. Yeah. And th- yeah, this has the Blu-ray wise, yes, it's lacking in kind of features that really delve into why this story is important, but just get to the but actual I'm just saying the actual that's where film it feels itself. rushed. They're like, "Oh crap, we said this. Okay, hey, what are we going to do for special features besides that? Oh, oh, let's just throw on the Dark Knight Returns. I mean, I just, 
what was the decision making there? I don't get it. It had to be because this thing was rushed. And it's well, like, maybe they're trying why to rush it, it out to come. Well, maybe they're trying to rush it out to get it out in time with Suicide Squad because of the Joker thing. That'd maybe. be my only guess, but it just that seems like such a weak excuse. Yeah. Where it's like these are mostly well done productions. <laughs> yeah, and I know you know that they've been trying to make the Killing Joke for years. You know that was one of that. Um, when when we interviewed Bruce Timm in, in 2011, he, that was one of the things he was still talking. He was talking about making then. So. And it's short. Like it's not it's, yeah. not, it's not like the, the Batman Returns is two and a half. Sorry, it's Batman. It's two and a half hours. <laughs> like this movie, it they had to add stuff to make it longer. Like they couldn't make yeah. the thing that they're adapting that part like work at least. Like it just it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Another yeah. thing. Well, here's another thing about it too is I don't understand the rated R. I don't. I don't. After watching this, I'm like, Assault on Arkham was more towards a rated R, and it was PG-13. So, which I, I watched that for the first time this week before I saw Suicide Squad because I wanted to be like, I want to see. Yeah, I've it never was, saw this. It. Yeah. It was rapey. But, there were people with yeah, gunshots. It was way darker it, than yeah. It's, it's the sexual. It? It's the sexual violence. That's right, that's why. Rapey. All right. I, okay. I'll see. I just because I just was like. Did they just really just work to have an R to be controversial? Or? I mean, it, the the MPAA is a it's a joke of an institution to begin with, so it doesn't well, really. I agree with too that. Much I totally but, agree with that. But, but. I, I I hear it, yeah, especially after just watching that or watching like what like Son of Batman, like the ones of Damien have like you know ninja heads popping off left and right. Yeah. Like, Flashpoint man, <laughs> about, oh, yeah? like murdering children. But somehow like, this was right at all. I, I get the sneaky feeling Q has been trying to talk for like twenty minutes. I think that's Q. Actually, I was going to say some uh, back to the art concerning what you were saying about the art um, and the differences. One thing that Bauman did in the original book, too, like there were scenes where it would go, it would flow from what was happening present day to Joker's flashbacks. Like um, there was a scene where he's reaching out for his wife's hand and then the, the scene would change to the, a clown, a, a mannequin of a clown with the reflection of Joker's hand reaching out toward it. And then there was a part where they were, they were um, moving Barbara Gordon's legs, and then it moved into the the flashback, and they're pulling off the legs of the shrimp that they were eating. Like there was things like that 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 flowed, and I I I saw where it should have happened in the movie, but it didn't. I thought that was odd that they didn't take advantage of that. It wasn't pronounced. Like I saw the one key one I can think of was that they have um, the the the, uh, the fat lady at the circus or the amusement park, and then they cut to Joker's pregnant wife in the past. And it's like, all right, because I like I remembered that from the book, and I was like, all right, yeah. they're gonna do that. And then they, yeah, they never really do it to to at least at least with enough emphasis to really show, you know, what makes what makes that artwork so unique, or what makes what gives it such a an extra level to that story that you have this you know intriguing flashback story being told and how that incorporates itself well into it, like it. And see, we know the book, so we were looking for that stuff. You know what I mean? So people who don't know the book and they're not familiar with it, non-readers, if they're just watching the movie. They have no idea how much better the book was, well, at least in my opinion. Oh, yeah, it's, it, it, is a, it is a shame. Like, there's there's a lot of really solid elements that that elevate the story above just, you know, the nasty stuff involving what happens. Like, I, I do think the story, if I take out the Barbara element, if I just take the idea of Joker pushing Gordon to, trying to push Gordon to his limits and Batman racing against time to stop him, like, there's like that's a good story there. That's very compelling. But what makes it, you know, gives it that extra level is that the artwork, which is, you know, a core part of reading comic books, that's a huge aspect that makes that work even better. And that's that that's a half of something that's missing, which is ultimately why I don't just dislike the Barbara stuff, but I dislike this adaptation as a whole, because I just got this 
ramshackle rushed idea for adapting a classic Batman story because they needed to get it out in time. And it's not like they haven't, I mean, look at the adaptation of the New Frontier and the way it kind of used the Darwin Cook art or the way um, Public Enemies used the Ed McGuinness art. You know, it's kind of a little different uh, uh, DC animated style. They kind of tried to mimic the art style a little bit. Even that Apocalypse, well, I think it was um, Apocalypse where they had the new Supergirl that Michael Turner did. Uh-huh. Uh, they, they kind of, you know, uh, you know, used elements of Michael Turner's art in the animation. So it's not, you know, like they've never done it before. And it's not as if I need a, a movie, a, this, these movies to be like, you know, slavishly devoted to what, you know, what art. No, but, goes but a stylistic like, nod would be nice. A stylistic you know. nod or just basic competence, and this it feel it feels stiff, like it like like it's not it's not a yeah. it's not a good looking animated movie. I hate when they try to explain Joker's backstory. I hate any time they try to do that. I don't ever really want to know. I want to hear the nine thousand stories. I don't want any of them to be true. I don't want to know. To his credit, he says it could be multiple choice. Like, he, there's this. Yeah, but they a, went into great detail, you know. Oh, yeah, I get that. I okay. The thing that okay, but, the, about the Joker story part on here, like when you read the book, you actually can almost feel for him in the book. I don't want to do that. TV, I didn't feel anything. I was just like, no, I didn't. It was, he, he was just a whiner. <laughs> He's a whiner. Yeah, he was whining too much. Before he dropped in that bed, he was kind of a whiner. What I did, I, I know. I, I was like, I'm happy you made something with your life, Joker. <laughs> you were a whining piece of anyway. I, I will say the best, the best part of all of this, I do think, is like those final t- ten minutes or so, where Batman, where it's okay. basically Batman versus Joker in the amusement park, not the circus right. stuff. I could do, I could take. Early it reminded that, but... me a lot of like the Bible, Bible um, stories where it would be just like. Satan would go up to heaven and just have a chit-chat with God where they were discussing Job, and apparently Satan's welcome in heaven, and it's cool, and, you know, Batman and Joker were just kind of chilling. <laughs> yeah, they're just growing out. I mean, I didn't get any animosity at the end at all. They were just dudes. That's crazy. I, 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 I like the, I like that, you know, the, the kind of, yeah, the interplay they have. I like seeing yeah. them. I mean, obviously, they're, you know, they're trying to take swings at each other or what have you, or Joker tries to use right. his poison hand thing to make him smile or whatever but like the i think the like there's a feature at like chubbs you, you notice this on the blu-ray there's a feature involving like the making of the music for this movie and oh, it's yeah. and that's a solid feature and i what i like about that is that it actually there's an there's an orchestral score for this movie and i that's an element i like the most about it because it actually they did for whatever reason the score is what got a lot of attention this time around and i thought it was an effective score for this film and it plays well in those final moments where, you know, they're taking swings at each other and, it, and there's like a gun and like whether or not he's going to shoot it. And then it turns out to be a dud gun and just right. the, the kind of emotions coming through between the characters and the way the music plays. Like all of that was fairly effective. And I was wondering, like, where was this movie for like the rest of the, you know, like 70 right. minutes I was watching it for? So I, I, I don't know. This was a huge disappointment for me. I, as far as you know, the letter grade thing, I really I want to give it a D. I really do. Just because it could have been so much better, and and Aaron makes a lot of good points about the animation itself doesn't look that good. I mean, even if it's not trying to, you know, copy Bowen's stuff or whatever. But yeah, I, I'll have to give it a D. I just didn't think it was a good adaptation, and I didn't appreciate the whole prologue stuff kind of cheapening the rest of it. And what they did adapt, I didn't think it was adapted very well. So yeah, I'll 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 give it a C minus. It it just barely squeaks by as passable you know that i mean i enjoyed it enough to where it it was not 
I didn't hate it, but I have to agree. You know, it's it's just barely a passing grade. I agree with C minus. Just that's not a passing grade for me. <laughs> that's, that's just, that's yeah, just yeah. D. I wanted my time back. I wanted. I literally wanted like some of these minutes back in my life. <laughs> I was kind of mad at it. So D. Now for for my rate, I, I actually got to say I want to give it two grades. One for in its entirety, I got to give it a D because I agree. I didn't like the changes they they took away from the rest of the movie from the really it really hurt it and I was I was very uncomfortable with the first act just with the whole them crossing that line that that just kind of threw everything else off for me uh, now if you focus just on the killing joke adaptation then I would I would say I would give it a grade of a C plus I think I liked it a little bit more than uh, you guys did. Yeah, just focusing on the killing joke aspect, C+, but as a whole, yeah, I gotta give it a D. Pretty excited to see Justice League Dark as the next uh, feature, though, I must say. It looks I like they tried on the animation, so yeah. that's a step up. Yeah, hopefully. Like, um, like this is my worry from the beginning with um, killing joke, like seeing the previews, and like, this animation doesn't look good, guy. And then, yeah, sure enough, the whole movie just didn't look very good. The main thing that bothered me about the animation was uh, I don't know what what they were doing with Batman's ears. Am I the only one that were bugged? Bug oh by yeah. <laughs> oh, I noticed it. It was like what what design like, is this? The little hook ear thing. They got I, I didn't like anything enough to to for that to be the one thing that <laughs> broke the illusion for me. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, kind of. I don't know. I mean, some of the older ones really hold up. Like I said, I just watched New Frontier like last week. And that that totally held up on um, the the animation, the art style, everything. Uh, Crisis on Two Earths. I mean, uh, some of them really are worth watching. You know, more than one. I think Crisis time, on but like Earth a lot of the more favorite out of all of theirs so far. Which is Crisis, Crisis on, on Two Earths. Earth. Yeah, I love that one. James Woods is Owlman. It's hard to beat. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I thought Doom was was good too. Just to see Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they did you know, the Tower of Babel story from the comics. That was that was pretty sweet. But like recently, like the Son of Batman, um, the the more recent uh, Batman uh, uh, stories they've been doing, except for Assault on Arkham, I think have been kind of really disappointment for me. Anyway, I really enjoyed Red Hood and Assault on Arkham, but like most of the other ones, I just I don't know. I really did not like Flashpoint at all. The adaptation, of the animated adaptation of Flashpoint, but I didn't like it in the comics either. So. So you're you're saying you're super excited for the third season of Flash? Well, I'm super excited that the the showrunner said that Flashpoint will not be all season long. Okay. <laughs> How about that? Fair enough. They said they're going to break it up into more story arcs and uh, more than just one villain a season too. So that'll be great. So we all uh, t- let's see. We talked about Preacher. We talked about Killing Joke. I feel like I'm forgetting something. Uh, there's a squad of people. There's some, is oh, there a Suicide movie? Spot. Is there some movie that just recently came out? A Dirty Dozen or the yeah, the, the murderous Moptet or the Magnificent Ooh. Seven remake. Magnificent Seven. Um, Aaron and I have seen Suicide Squad, so I guess just like a short. I know we'll go more in depth in a future episode, but maybe just like a short spoiler-free review. I'm catching it tomorrow night. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good to go a little spoiler-free review on it. Okay, because Aaron, uh, if you go to uh, his, I guess, uh, thecodeofzeke.com, you can find it there. Oh, why so uh, blue his, you can find it, yeah. Or why so blue.com. 
Uh, he has already written a full review of the Suicide Squad, and uh, he goes a lot more in-depth on his thoughts uh, there than he will here, probably. So check that out, for sure. But, um, I don't know, I it was not the home run I had hoped it to be. How about that? I'm afraid you're going to say that. Yeah, I... Uh... I was... <laughs> I, I would go even lower. I, I think it's yeah. kind of abysmal. I, I I had no expectations for it. I, I walked in. Mean, there's so many ways to work, to mess it up that they might. I walked in plenty excited to see it, and uh, it, it 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 let me down in a way where I ways I couldn't expect as far as how how it just not not great it is. It feels like a movie that's been compromised for a variety of reasons despite good elements in it like the the cast is certainly great it's just they have very little to work with or to have you you know help to help you attach you to them and it's and it feels like it's been duct taped together by a lot of catchy soundtrack hits in order to try to hide the fact that it has no idea what the hell it's trying to do it's got a 30 percent on rotten tomato and there, isn't there a petition now or something to to shut down Rotten Tomatoes? To shut that, down Rotten Tomatoes because, because Rotten Tomatoes reviews. keeps giving reviews, which they yeah. don't do. How dare they add maybe an aggregate of reviews <laughs> that are out there? They're not even the ones writing the reviews. I thought that was so silly when I saw that. They're also owned by Warner Brothers. Like it's, that's the other thing that makes. Are you serious? Yes, Warner Brothers owns Rotten Tomatoes. Like it's not, it wouldn't be in their interest to give their own movies bad reviews. Oh my! It's um, I went I went with a packed house and uh, uh with my wife and uh, it, it, there were parts of it I enjoyed. There were characters I enjoyed. There were story arcs I wish they'd done more with. Um, I just kept seeing things that were like, oh, that's cool, and then they wouldn't do anything with that. You know what I mean? Or Oh well, that's interesting, but then they'd go somewhere else, you know. And I just keep thinking that there was maybe a different movie at some point here. Um, I know there've been like rumors of studio interference or whatnot, but I heard that there was a lot of cuts. Like there was stuff that was in the trailers that didn't show up in the movie at all. There's that... a lot. Of this, there's some. There's some of that. No, I mean, I see. It's not as if I'm like thinking man those scenes that weren't in the movie that i saw in the trailer are ones that were really going to make this a different thing but it just feels evident that, <laughs> it feels evident that there's a movie here that i'm not seeing the bright side of like it feels like there's yeah. a, another edit of this thing that i don't know if it's any better but it feels like that's probably more of the movie that david ayer the direct writer director wanted to make until the studio was more like we need to make this more fun and whatever else <laughs> to, to well put I, I feel like I feel like uh, yeah you, you put it very well. I feel like there was another movie here, mm-hmm. and whether we get to see like an edit of that movie eventually on Blu-ray or something, or um, I don't know. Uh, it just seemed like the, there were parts of there were parts of a movie that were a lot cooler that were in this than the movie ended up being. You know what I mean? And then there were other parts you're just like just kind of shaking my head and kind of wincing a little bit and. I, I, I hate it when scripts don't make sense, so the script was not the best. But I just I just wonder if there if the rumors are true about the interference or something because it just seems like there were bits and parts that were very interesting to me in this movie that I thought could have been more developed that weren't, and then there are other parts I dislike. But even like regardless of whatever interference there was, like at the end of the day, I can only talk about the movie right. I saw, and if exactly. this is the way DC and Warner Brothers want to operate, they're not doing a good job. 
Like, exactly. You got, like, yeah, Chubbs, you, you can argue for Batman v Superman, and I have no problem with you doing that. You can like if you like the movie, you like the movie, but it's you can't deny that there, there's some trouble going on in how they're presenting this universe, right? Like and they absolutely oh, can, no. and they do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just I just think the the it seems like Warner Brothers' expectations are that it's going to be like their Guardians of the Galaxy or something, and it is definitely not that. Well, if you remember <laughs> about a year ago, maybe a little further back when we were going through the, the current news at the time, didn't they go and they like did another month or something of reshoots or it something? Was, it was it was after Deadpool came out in February that the report suddenly came out that there are millions of dollars of reshoots going on for Suicide Squad. Yeah, so I, I'm wondering too, then there may be a whole other, you know, so who knows? You just, I think it could have been a lot better. I think the I'm potential sure the was there. I mean, on DVD. <laughs> well, we'll see, but that's, uh, that's the short, sweet version of it without getting... Too much into uh, spoiler territory. Um, if you like, if you like seeing Margot Robbie's ass, you'll really appreciate this movie. There's a well, lot of male. There's, there's a back. There's a there's a back of the box uh, quote for you. Well, how did how <laughs> did my my question though is they show her derriere a lot in this oh movie. Did she pull off Harley though? She pulls off Harley. It's just the movie. It's not her movie. Right, it doesn't give her anything to do with it, Harley. Like she's fine. Well, because like, they, they keep shoehorning her into scenes involving the Joker, who right. I, I really disliked Jared Leto's Joker. I was going to say that there wasn't really enough of him for me to get a firm judgment down. <laughs> you know, yeah, I was shocked how like little he was in the movie, to be honest. So, so should I just like return my movie tickets and go watch Assault on Arkham again? <laughs> Hmm. I think Assault on Arkham is a better Suicide Squad movie. It is, I mean, I I just watched it for the first time and I enjoyed it. I do, I do like it more than I did. I do like it more than Batman v Superman though. Oh, it's wow. that's not saying a lot for me. I liked Batman v Superman. I did too. I like I like Batman v Superman a little bit more now because of this movie. It's because because there's. Because with this movie, there or with that movie, there's ambition there. Like I may not, I may not agree with every choice that Zack Snyder made, but it seems like he's trying something, and it's and it's certainly coherent in that Ultimate Cut version. Like there's a movie there that makes a level of sense. I may disagree with the logic of said movie, but I I see like him trying to do something. This just feels like a retread of a bunch of other movies that are far superior in an attempt to make a superhero movie that you know has this dirty dozen type tone, and it just doesn't work. It's just there's nothing there. And it's too bad because I really liked End of Watch. I really I liked Fury too. I thought the Fury was really good. And I was really I really had a lot of hopes for Air to like do a good job with this. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty hit or miss on Air's work, but I agree with you. The End of Watch is a really solid movie for sure. Yeah, Fury's yeah. fine as well. It's it's very nihilistic kind of movie, but like I like oh uh, totally. I, I just I just really liked the performances in that. I said, I'm, I'm, especially I'm, I'm, I'm hot and cold on David Ayer's movies. I think some of them are, yeah. are good, some of them are not not good. Um, and so I was hoping, you know, the good Ayer would show up for this movie. And it, whether it's him or someone else in charge of his movie, I, I don't know what to think, but this wasn't one of the good ones. Now, speaking of this movie and the premiere and all that stuff, I saw today on Facebook or somewhere. Did you see that Ryan Reynolds went to the premiere as did Deadpool. He, did he actually, or did I just, I just saw, I saw a picture of him with Margot Robbie, which looked, that looked Photoshopped to me. That oh. one. Just the way he's posing and like her standing there with like no reaction. It just made no sense to me that that would actually happen to it. 
Well, Chub uh, Toad saw it on the internet, so it's true. So. <laughs> the internet it must be is on the internet. No, it does not. No. The like, I, I, and their tubes are clean. Like, I'd humor the idea if that happened, but I just... For one thing, I've seen it nowhere except, like, one site. So it's like, no one's reporting on this, I don't believe it. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I write for sites that would report on this. So it's like, why is no one talking about this if it's true? Well, um, <laughs> that's our, our capsule review of Suicide Squad, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we'll go in more, de- uh, more depth after everybody else has seen it. Okay, so uh, thanks for joining us this week. Uh, we will be back on track with our Justice League TV watching club next week. Uh, with uh, Night of Shadows, which is the Morgan Le Fay and um, Jason Blood, uh, the Demon uh, episode of Justice League, uh, the cartoon, and uh, Metamorphosis, which is the uh, origin of Metamorpho, which is pretty cool. It turns out that Metamorpho and Green Lantern are old, old buzz. Um, we, um, real quick, uh, the, the biggest news thing, actually, that came out this week, that the Cartoon Network uh, Justice League Action, um, they said they're going to feature over 150 characters from uh, DC uh, lineup in the cartoon. And it's uh, Butch Lukic and uh, Alan Burnett from you know, Superman and from uh, Justice League and a lot of the other WB uh, projects. And uh, Jim Krieg, who uh, came over from the DC TV uh, premiere animation, you know, formerly doing the you know, direct-to-DVD stuff. So it'll be. I'm interested to see that cartoon for sure. If you wanted to catch up on all of DC TV news and reviews and everything else, and if you would like to read Aaron's uh, weekly some uh, uh, reviews of uh, the episodes of Preacher all uh, season long, then by all means go to DC TV Podcast, uh, the Facebook group, and join us. Uh, as of this week, we are 221 members strong. Woohoo! And uh, you can check out all that go- uh, cool stuff there. There's also a nice article about it. How long they're going to be dealing with Flashpoint in the next season of the season three of the Flash? So check that out as well. Aaron, thanks for joining us tonight, sir. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to uh, have lended my voice in these things. I, I know the 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 back half of this episode has been widely negative as far as the things I've been talking about, but I can assure you, I want to like a lot of these things more than they end up being. And Preacher is still awesome at the end, so that helped for me. What's all the, that, that money hat you get from... Uh, oh, from yeah, Disney I mean, I, I won't deny the, the lobster dinners from Marvel have been wonderful as far as, you know, seeing these movies first and then, you know, getting that... Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me the cold-plated lobsters and get rid of this old wine. Bring me some fresh wine. Um, you can check out Aaron's writing on thecodezeek.com, whysoblue.com, and theyoungfolks.com. Uh, he reviews Blu-rays, movies, TV, and is constantly on, on the go. Uh, he's a very energetic young man. You can also check his uh, podcast out, Out Now with Aaron and Abe, uh, where they talk about um, the movies that are out in the theaters right now uh, with many uh, varied guests. Uh, a lot of interesting uh, talk there about movies, uh, current movies. And then every once in a while, a commentary track will come along from the 80s, and they'll ask me to sit in because I'm the only old guy from the 80s they know. Yeah, we just had uh, so we just had Jim on to talk about uh, <laughs> Aliens for the Aliens 30th anniversary. We had Jim on for an Aliens commentary track, which is a lot of fun. That was that was great. Well, any excuse to watch Aliens, you know. I'll also point out this. I forgot this completely. Uh, the Telltale Batman game came out this week, and I played that, and it's very good. So, uh, well, oh, I, I can't wait. I haven't been huge on Batman in film this year, but Batman in video games, still awesome. So there you go. <laughs> but you can check out Aaron in all those places. Uh, you can check out uh, other geeky podcasts that uh, Chubb and myself and Jerry are on at the Taylor Network of Podcasts and at hhwlod.com. 
you can find the Walking Dead TV podcast there. You can find the It's All Connected Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast there. Uh, returning home to the HHWLOD page after a long journey at the Marvel Exchange. What else? Oh, the Weedonverse podcast is also there. Check that out. Uh, Taylor Network podcast. You got Nothing's On. You got it on. Uh, yeah, I said it, and no apologies, and the Comic Rock Snark Fest that Jerry is on, and uh, Gotham by Geeks, which is a great Batman-centric podcast, and uh, just this week, uh, Star Trek artist J.K. Woodward and Bon Vivant, <clears throat> J.K. Woodward and Daryl just started a new podcast as if he needed another one called Go Trek Yourself, <laughs> all about Star Trek, and uh, to kind of kick that off, uh, the HHWLOD Along with Daryl did a, another of our series of Star Trek 50th Anniversary podcast where we talk about our favorite episodes of The Next Generation, which is a pretty cool one, and that just came out right about the time we're recording this. So Check that out as well. Did I forget to plug anything? I don't know. HHWLOD is the home, and we are ghosts. Thank you, and good night. Oh, the Comic Nerdgasm at a Facebook group. I'm sorry, Q. Wow, I'm looking at too many things on my computer screen. Check out Q, Comic Nerdgasm Facebook group. There's those cool uh, geek brackets going on. we got a lot of news and updates over there. Cool discussion. Comic Nerdgasm Facebook group. On the Facebooks, it's very Book popular with the young people. The Book of Face. Right, the Book of Face. Yep. As Starfire and Jerry say. So, <laughs> until next week. We will catch up on our uh, Justice League uh, TV watching club and probably uh, talk to some Suicide Squad and some other things. We are Ghost. Good night, everybody. Thank you very much, everybody. Time takes a cigarette, puts it in your mouth. You pull on your finger, then another finger, then a cigarette. The water wall is calling. It lingers, then you forget Oh, 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 oh You're a rock and roll suicide You're too old to lose it Too young to choose it And the clock waits so patiently on your song You walk past the cafe but you don't eat when you've lived too long Oh, no, no, no You're a rock and roll suicide Shit breaks the snarling As you stumble across the road But the day breaks instead So you hurry home Don't let the sun blast your shadow don't let the milk float, rob your mind. There's so many.